and then we'll go, right? Yep, sounds good. Yep. We're losing! Teamwork, guys, more teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast, here's Arden Caleb. It's Wednesday, November 27th. Between the Stammers is back. The Canucks' six-game road trip continues with a 7-6 loss to the Penguins. Uh, Markstrom, Demko talk again. Uh, Jim Benning was on uh, Sportsnet Radio talking about it. Uh, Rich will have another poll question for us. Goldobin called up. Berchi sent down. Uh, Ole Ulevi injured again. We'll get into that as well. Uh, but... Really, I buried the lead because Caleb Kirby is not with us. He's sick. Uh, apparently, he told me he wasn't even going to watch the game. Like, how sick are you, Caleb Kirby, if you're not watching the Canucks game? Like, are you on the deathbed? Like, really, should should I be out there uh, nursing you back to health? Because if you're not watching the game, something's wrong. Uh, I know how Caleb Kirby is. We all know how Caleb Kirby is and his Canucks. He takes that shit seriously, so... Just because you're sick doesn't mean you can't partake in the game, Caleb Kirby. Something tells me he found a way to watch the game or listen to the game, at least. Uh, But with no Caleb Kirby, we get a guest, full-time guest here. Uh, You heard him on our last podcast, Rich Brown, who used to be a radio reporter, sports reporter for News 1130 in Vancouver, he was also the uh, sports guy there for them as well. He did sports updates for them for quite a few years, and he's on the line now. Rich, how are you, buddy? Yeah, thanks, Art. I, I guess I'm, I'm the Caleb tonight. I don't know if I can bring the same energy and level of sass that he brings, but I'll do my best. If you can, Rich, if you can. So, um, I've got to set my mind to it. Yeah, well, we're not going to be upset either way because uh, – yeah, Caleb Kirby brings a unique energy to this podcast. Really, he's the only reason anybody listens to this podcast. So, yeah, there so you go. Most most people might have tuned out by now. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we got to start with the shitty news first. That that hockey game, uh, Canucks were up six three at one point in that game, and managed to blow it uh, to the Penguins of all teams. They even chased Matt Murray in that game. They had scored uh, four goals on fourteen shots to chase Murray. Uh, it was shitty. I, I I caught most of the game. There was only uh, the small portion of the first period of the third period that I didn't catch. Uh, there were some good things that happened in that game, though. I guess we can't we can't just look at all the defensive breakdowns and be upset. And obviously, when you blow a six three lead uh, and don't win the game or even get a point out of the game, you're pretty upset. But uh, we're we here on between the stammers. We like to look at the bright side of things. Uh, let's let's start with Jake for Tannen. Like, I thought he was everywhere in this game, from what I saw. Like, to start this game, he was up on the on the top line with Petey and Bess as well. Uh, I I was uh, I was thrilled with his game. He scored a goal, and he set up the Pedersen goal as well. Uh, did you see uh, Jakey boy there? Did you do a shotgun, Jake? Are you into that, Rich? Shotgun, Jake? No, no, I'm I'm a slowly sit my beard, Jake kind of guy. But <laughs> I enjoyed the goal. It was it was very nice and. Yeah, he had a good game. The the dish to Pedersen, especially, I'd like to give and go there, get it, get PD in space, and then uh, not necessarily drive the net, but he did kind of draw the defenseman down with him. So um, influential on that goal. I thought he had a good game, um, but really, just the game in in general. I mean, the fact that Canucks were up six three was a minor miracle in itself, and 
it looked like they should have won, but really, if you look at the game as a whole, they probably had no business even being as close as one, uh, well, the empty netter there, but it was a one-goal game late. They're probably pretty lucky. I mean, the beginning of the game, the Penguins were all over them. It just looked like uh, a tired team that's in a tough building against a good team late in a road trip, and uh, it looked like it was it was going to be over early, but somehow they kind of just hung on. Um, they didn't even register their first shot for I'm not sure how many minutes. It was eight nine minutes it was already mm-hmm. two nothing i think mm-hmm. uh, by the time they got their first shot so good on them to to bounce back and all of a sudden i think the the big difference was they were starting to generate some chances but really they buried a lot of their chances otherwise they weren't really going to be in that game well they were down two nothing and then they scored four straight goals like that's nuts that's absolutely nuts. And they barely had any shots on net, like you said. JT Miller scoring again his 11th. Elias Pettersson getting his 11th. And then Jake on the board with his 7th. And Adam Gaudet getting that 5th goal, uh, which I love that goal. I love those dirty goals where you get to the front of the net and you poke it in. A Corey Perry-type goal. That's what I like to call them. The dirty, dirty goal in front of the net. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, like... Like, yeah, I'm talking about taking away good things. Jake Vertanen's play. Adam Gaudet's another guy that, uh, you know, he looked really good, and he's not going anywhere. He's staying up on this team. I think this game for sure made it look like, uh, made it made it clear to me that this guy belongs in the NHL. That that second goal especially was so nice. The the shot was great. Posting in low to, to get it under the goalie there, and it was just a really nice goal. And, yeah, you can see he... He's playing with energy. He's got a pretty good shot. Like, even last year um, in spot duty, you could see the good shot. Um, but he wasn't playing with the confidence he's playing with now. Like, he he might just kind of shoot from the outside, whereas now he's looking to get into a, a little bit better shooting area. He's going into those dirty areas in front of the net, and he's just playing really well. And you can see him kind of blossoming in front of our eyes. It's a really nice thing to see. And I would I would say with the way he's playing right now, um, even with a healthy Sutter, Gaudet's the more valuable player at this point. Ooh. Uh, Caleb Kirby, I don't know if you would agree with that. He has a soft spot for Brandon Sutter, and he thinks that uh, he thinks it's an unpopular opinion right now, but he thinks the Canucks are struggling without Brandon Sutter for a reason. I don't know if we'll get into that. but Well, I mean, I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad player. I like Brandon Sutter. It's just, you know he leaves some things to be desired. He kind of, he does go through periods where he, he's putting up the points, but I don't know. He just never has, I guess, lived up to the expectations he had when, when he got the deal he got from Benning after the trade. So. Yeah. D- don't get me wrong. I'm not a huge Brandon Sutter guy, but uh, Caleb Kirby has been pushing that button with me for this past week off air, as well as on air about how he thinks Brandon Sutter is more valuable to this team than a lot of people think. Eh. Well, Kirby's not here tonight, so let's just rag on Sutter for the next 10 minutes. Yeah, we should, right? Let's just rag on Sutter. Well, he's not here to defend his boy. Okay, so uh, we can keep talking about the game, but let's talk about uh, before the game, Nikolai Goldobin was called up. Sven Berchi was sent down. What do you think of that move? Well, I think Berchi hasn't really been himself still, and it's tough to come back from that many concussions. And he's spoken about, you know, kind of his hesitation and how it's something that he thinks about. And it's just, it's not easy to come back from something like that. And he just hasn't seemed to have been the same player yet. And 
you know, maybe a little bit more time in the AHL, getting more ice time and building up that confidence will help because I think when he's on top of his game, he's a very valuable player, but we just haven't seen anything out of him really. I mean, I thought, I thought his first couple games when they called him up were, were good. He played well, um, but he just seems to be not really noticeable out on the ice lately. So, um, you know, and then you bring up Goldobin and I feel like we already know what he is. He's a guy who can put up points in the AHL and, you know, it's, he's leading the Utica Comets in scoring this year. I think it was 20 points in 18 games. That's right. Um, so, yeah, you can say he's, he's off to a good start in the AHL, give him a chance in the NHL. We've seen this before with him, um, so I'm not expecting a lot. Like, I think, I think he's a creative player and uh, he's got a lot of skill, but just the NHL is a faster game and maybe he just doesn't make decisions as quick as he needs to sometimes or sometimes it's the, the defensive side of the puck that he struggles in. And I don't know that we're going to see anything different than the Goldobin we've seen in years past, but so I, you're, I, you're I not hope. a, you're not a, you're not a Goldobin's been suppressed. Uh, he needs more top notch ice time. He's not playing with the right players. You're not that type. You're not that guy who thinks that. Hey, right now I'm willing to give it a shot. And again, he's, he's played well in the AHL and you always want to believe that a guy can make the jump. It's just that, He's had a lot of AHL success before and then be called up and, and struggle in the NHL. But I also think he's the type of guy that can give a team a spark on offense when they need it, and um, maybe he can provide that. I thought I thought you looked – the one thing I do like about Goldobin is, you know, he's bounced around between the AHL and NHL, but it, it never seems like his confidence has taken a hit. He's the type of guy that he jumps in to the NHL for the first time of the year, you know, he's – He's fought his way back into the lineup, and he doesn't hold back at all. He's still trying to make little deeks in tight corners and, uh, you know, kind of slick passes, and sometimes that gets him in trouble. But, hey, that's who he is. That's the player he is, and he doesn't hold that back. So I do – I appreciate that about him. I, I understand the move because the Canucks have really been getting nothing from their secondary scoring. It seems to be feast or fathom for this team. Um, it's It's – the, it, the Goldobin move is to find someone who can help the top two lines because right now it seems like it's only been one line or nothing going for the Canucks. It seems that way anyway because Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo they haven't been able to be haven't been able to count on those guys for goals on a consistent basis. And when you bring Goldobin in, uh, he just gives you another option. I think, and I think that's what the Canucks are looking at that way. Uh, but you're right; like he's he he doesn't seem to be he is not a guy who sulks, right? He goes into the he goes and plays for the Utica Comets, and uh, and you know he's leading the team and scoring. Like he's over a point per game at the AHL level, so he definitely doesn't sulk, and he wants to be in the NHL. And I saw him smiling both ways, right? He knows that's that. A, yeah, that's another thing that I I'm always impressed with with him is it seems to be his attitude. I mean, a, a guy like him who he was highly touted at one point, he does have a ton of skill and, you know, he could go back home to Russia and probably be a top player in the KHL. And let's be honest, we've seen a lot of NHL players that have come over. Um, you know, they've tried their hand at the NHL and they've maybe not succeeded as much as they expected. They've, you know, instead of accepting a demotion to the AHL, it's, uh, you know what, I've tried the NHL, and now I'm going to go back to Russia and play. And he, he could have been one of those players, and he'll have a very successful career there. But I really uh, admire him for continuing and saying, okay, you know, you send me to Utica, I'm going to go 
work hard in Utica and keep trying to get better. You know, he, he clearly is the type of guy that he doesn't care. He wants to play in the NHL, and I admire that about him. Yeah, feast or famine. Uh, are, you, are you into that? Do you think that the Canucks, like, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing, that it's like the top line, all the Canucks' top players are producing points, and it's the secondary scoring that just hasn't been there, and that's why Nikolai Goldobin is getting a shot, right? Yeah, for sure. They need to find some secondary scoring, um, and that's one way they can try and get it going. Obviously, a guy like Gaudet picking up some slack lately, that's been uh, a nice uh, addition with him coming back into the lineup and, and playing well, especially once he made that shift over to center. I think you just saw the, the difference of playing at his natural position and how much more comfortable he is, so that's been good. Um, but they do need to get more scoring up and down their lineup because the top line really is not ready – they're a good top line, but they're not ready to dominate the NHL like some other top lines yet. Um, but also, even if they were, you you need contributions from everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I can't disagree with that. Um, so let's talk about Goldobin's play tonight. He, uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there pushing for Goldobin because they think he he's that offensive spark. He's that, he's that guy who just needs to be let loose. I see that free Goldie out there hashtag uh tonight he had zero points he did have one hit uh and just played eight minutes and 37 seconds of ice time so i know that he like started the game up there with uh besser and uh or not i guess i don't know if besser was on the second line with horvat to start the game i feel like travis green was really mixing up the lines at first because they weren't they couldn't even get a shot on goal for a little while there it was, it was pretty ugly <laughs> yeah yeah so they i think, were under siege yeah so i think like the i think like the pregame warm-ups it was like uh patterson so pd and goldobin on that top line uh with miller i think and then on the second line i think it was um Brock Besser, McEwen, and Bo Horvat. I think that's what they had like started with, but of course that got changed up. And then uh, Vertanen was seeing some top line minutes, and then Goldobin kind of just kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think, and that's why he only had eight minutes and thirty-seven seconds of ice time. Um, I and I don't. I think the worry with some fans of Goldobin is they think that you know maybe he has one offensive play or one defensive play that doesn't work out for him, and then he gets buried and doesn't get a chance again, even though he's a guy that can create offense. So um, I, I I think they wouldn't bring him up if they weren't going to give him an opportunity, right? I think they're, we're probably going to see him in the game against Edmonton. It's I mean, it's either him or Louis Erickson right now, and uh, Louis Erickson really hasn't done anything to you know deserve any top-line minutes. So uh, I'd be shocked if uh, Goldobin isn't back in the lineup against Edmonton. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, and maybe get a little bit more ice time as well. It, obviously, his first game back up, I think he just arrived with the team today, so, um, you know, he might just be easing him into the lineup eight and a half minutes, not a lot of time, so we'll see what uh, what happens in Edmonton. Um, one last thing I want to say about this game, Thatcher Demko didn't look good in this game. I mean, when you allow seven goals, you can't look that good. Uh, were you Are you worried with anything you've seen with Thatcher Demko here? Uh, or do you think this is just an off, one-off No, game? and I, I don't even think he played poorly. The Canucks were just under siege. Yeah, yeah you can say he had seven goals scored against him, but I can't point out one where I, I wa- watch in the game, I'm going, oh, how do you let that in? I mean, it's just like he can't do it himself. And when it's just shot after shot after shot and, you know, the Penguins are picking up every rebound, 
Uh, no, I don't blame him. But also something to keep in mind is how um, he wasn't expecting to start tonight. Um, you know, Markstrom was supposed to get the nod, and then I guess he wasn't feeling well come game time. So I don't know exactly what time Demko knew he was going to get the start. Mm-hmm. But uh, that can also, you know, goalies are interesting creatures. So That's true. That uh, might have affected him as well. Yeah, 40 shots by Pittsburgh, uh, just 22 by Vancouver in this game. So almost 2-1 to one with these shots. You're right. The Canucks really didn't deserve to have a 6-3 lead, and the hockey gods came back to to bite them in this one. Uh, I mean, it sucks. I remember they they blew what was it a 5-1 lead against the Washington Capitals earlier this year, and now this 6-3 6-3 lead. Uh, at least they got a point in that Capitals game that was at home. Um, do you think this is just like a young team? You know, we, when you have a lead like this, and I know they didn't quite deserve to have the lead. But when you have a lead like that in the NHL, you should be able to hold on for at least a point. Do you think it's just the sign of a young team? That's that's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when the West Coast Express was just starting out, and they were a very young team at the time and mm-hmm. um, tons of offense, but, God, did they blow a lot of third-period leads. <laughs> it's like these games are so reminiscent of those times, and um, – you know, <laughs> that team never really got over the hump. Uh, and it wasn't until the Sedins really became the focal point of the team that uh, they started going on longer playoff runs. But, you know, it just does remind me of that time Crawford behind the bench and the run and gun style. They'd get up five to two and then end up losing six to five or whatever it was. There was just a lot of games like that. So, yeah, it's a young team, um, but they have to learn how to protect a game like this. Like the, the turn of events, was just tragic almost. I mean, <laughs> JT Miller, who I absolutely love having him on the team, yeah. and he had another. He had a great game. He scored two goals, but the the sequence of events that changed the game. Canucks are on the power play up six to three. There's a beautiful passing play that comes out to Miller, and Miller has he's got a pretty decent chunk in the net to shoot at, and he hit the post. And then about 25, 30 seconds later. He takes a stupid hooking penalty. I, I hate penalties when you're on the power play. Like, yeah, I get it. The Penguins are about to clear the puck, and they're desperate to keep the puck in. But you have a three-goal lead, and the worst thing that you can do is take a penalty there. So he takes that hooking penalty, and then immediately four-on-four, four, the Penguins score to make it 6-4. Then uh, the Penguins' penalty expires. They're on the power play. They score again. It's 6-5. to five. And even the Canucks still have the goal. I thought, like, here we go. There was – I think 12 minutes left on the clock still, it was not looking good for the Canucks, and you kind of knew what was happening and what was about to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's that EA Sports uh, run, I call it. You know, you can kind of see you can kind of see it in a game. It's like momentum, you know? You can feel it, I, and I just like to... Because I can see it in those video games, you know, where you're kind of, you know, you're like, ah, uh, it feels like the computer's after me here, and they're they're going to win this game no matter what. You know, it's that momentum in a game which I think exists in, yeah. in, oh, in sports. Yeah, no, totally. And I yeah. I actually thought uh, when Travis Green I, – I wasn't thinking it at the time, but when Travis Green called the timeout at 6-6, I thought, why didn't he call it at 6-5? Mm-hmm. That would – it seems – yeah, so <laughs> easy for me to say looking back. But um, What did you think of the, uh, the the challenge on the, 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 the tying goal? Uh, Malkin at the blue line there, it looked – it looked like he was offside, but I I remember I texted you and I was like I don't think they can overturn it like it's that close. No, but not only that, part of the NH, the the wording in the NHL ruling is if you kind of go in 
offside carrying the puck, but you have full control of the puck, you're you're allowed to kind of enter the zone before the puck does. Yeah, which is weird, right? Yeah. So well, it's it's because if you were like skating backwards over the zone yeah. or whatever, you yeah. know that kind of thing. But um, to me, you could easily apply that wording to that situation. Like Malkin, it's not like he was reaching back to the puck after a pass. He he controlled it the whole way through. So. I definitely would not have overturned that, but to in the bigger picture, that challenge just drives me crazy. Like, <laughs> I just are we really overturning goals over like the millimeter of an offside? It has absolutely no effect on the play. I totally get. I hate you know. It. I'm with you. I hate it. I hate it too. Reviewing whether it crosses the line by a millimeter because that's like the difference between an actual goal and not a goal, mm-hmm. but. It had no effect on the play. There's no reason that we need to be even reviewing offsides because I think the linesmen are good enough that anything anything that's obvious, they're, they're getting. And the ones that they're maybe missing are like so super close that they're having to slow it down frame by frame. And to me, that's just pointless. It, it, it takes away from the integrity of the game, I guess. I don't know. Maybe people would say the other way. But I think, I think they should just scrap the offside challenge. Um, I'm with you. And it takes takes so long, Rich. Like, how long did that take? It's too long. Like, no. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's the same thing in the NFL. The new pass interference challenge that they can do now is, it's it's garbage. I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, uh, Just before we, like, move into the next uh, portion of this, uh, I did, we should mention... The defense struggled in this game, and the defense has been struggling for a little while now. And uh, Caleb and I have like we've harped on it quite a bit. Uh, one of the guys who gets uh, lots of ice time and has struggled, I think. I, you mentioned this to me, him being a little bit of a, a lightning rod, though. Um, Tyler Myers, where are you on Tyler Myers as a player on this team? Like, because he gets a lot of ice time. He's a top four pairing. I, I find that he struggles in his own end quite a bit at times, and I noticed it a little bit in this game today. Um, where, where are you on Tyler Myers? Well, I think a lot of people are judging him based on the salary he got, but in the unrestricted free agent market for defensemen, yeah. it's not easy to find defensemen. And yeah, you you got to overpay for guys. I think Tyler Myers is an upgrade over the defensemen they had the last few years. And I understand people's frustrations with him because he isn't, you see a guy that looks like he does and you think like Chara, like this could be a top shutdown defenseman in this league, but that's not who he is. He's more, he's actually more of an offensive player. Um, and I think he, he shows some promise in the offensive zone, but yeah, he gets lost in his own end. And it's frustrating when you see a guy that size, not use his size effectively sometimes, or that reach. Um, but I think I just look back at what the Canucks had last year or the year before, and they're, they're way better off. Yeah. yeah, they're paying him yeah. maybe too much money, but no, I'm I'm happy they have him because if the Canucks didn't give him that much money, someone else was going to give him nearly that much, if not that much. So um, at this point, the Canucks kind of have to have him on the team. I mean, they we they just don't have the defensemen. You got to have NHL defensemen in this league, and at least he's an NHL defenseman. I think he's a top four guy. He's he's not a top two guy, but. Yeah, I, I, are you happy with the way the defense is this year? Because I, I said that going into this season. I'm like, they're better at every position. They should be a better team. And, happier. I'm happier than I was yeah. with the defenseman. But no, 
the defense is still clearly the weakest part of this team. Yeah. Quinn Hughes is an offensive dynamo from the back end, um, but he's still very undersized, and he has shown – he has looked like a rookie at times um, defending, and that'll come. I, I'm fully confident in him growing as a player, but if you're looking at him as the savior for this year as like a defenseman, no. I, I think he really is a callus to the offense the way he – he brings the puck up and his passing and his vision and his creativity. It's all fantastic. But when it's coming down to like the third period tonight where you're just holding on, uh, Hughes is not the guy you need Edler or Tanev to kind of step up. And again, we haven't really, we didn't really see it um, in my opinion, but yeah, just, you know, you look at the the hits Edler at least was physical tonight. He had eight, but Tyler Myers had one hit. Um, So Tyler Myers, you're huge. How do you have one hit in any hockey game? It doesn't even <laughs> register to me, right? So, yeah, But, yeah. you know, Jordy Ben is a bottom-pairing guy. I think we need to see a little bit more out of Chris Tanna this year as well. You know, he can be a, a top-two guy, but I don't know. He hasn't been as good this year, it feels like. Yeah. I, right now, I think Quinn Hughes is doing everything he can from his position, like, offensively. He's mm-hmm. not – he's not – He's not a dynamo in his own end, and he struggles at time in his own end. But I don't yeah. – we can't expect him to be, you know, the shutdown defenseman on this team. We just – he's not, not there all. yet. He's not there you yet. Hope, you hope he develops into that player in a few years. But yeah, right and I now, think he I'm will. Yeah. what he is. Yeah. Yeah, so I, it's just – it's just you look at this defense right now, and, like, these are – these like, these are quali- – I don't know, quality, but these are all NHL defensemen on their team. Stetcher, Myers, Hughes, Edler, Tanev, Ben, like, th- that couldn't be said for a lot for a long time last year for injuries for whatever reason right the guys that they had to call up so i don't know i just i just want to like how is this team struggling so much in its own end like watching a game like tonight man if jenny melkin had he had fucking six or wait six points tonight no five points melkin had five points tonight two goals and three assists gensel that gensel guy two goals two assists four points and roust rust or whatever his name brandon rust four points like Really, it was the top guys on their team uh, scoring points for the Penguins. So uh, that means guys like Edler and Tanev were, you know, they were they were struggling out there. Here's here's the question I have for the Penguins: What are they doing starting Matt Murray against the Canucks? Ever mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so bad against the Canucks, and it's just obviously a team that they're in his head. So um, they should have started Jari probably, and this game would have never been this close, I feel like, because not that they were bad goals, but the Canucks didn't have a lot of chances. And if um, if Murray could have just made a couple of big saves, I mean, it, it never would have even gotten to the point where the Canucks were up. So, Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, the the, the PD goal was, I don't think anybody would have stopped that. But, yeah, I'd say the other goals, he definitely could have made a save here or there. Yeah, it's, like the, the first goal, uh, Miller's, yeah. um, I think – because the pass was in his skates, I think Murray kind of didn't even anticipate that Miller would be able to get that shot off. And if he had just moved out to challenge a little bit more and cut off the angle, he would have been able to stop that. Um, but he he kind of he didn't really see how the play was going to develop. So I thought he could have had that one. Um, you know, it's just it's interesting. It's interesting. Like I think there are a couple of goalies that the Canucks like they do take advantage of, uh, like Pekka Rene. Mm-hmm. The Canucks seem to have his number, do they not? Every time the Canucks, always, Pecorini, yeah, always. yeah, for whatever reason, yeah, Matt Murray seems to be another guy. So, yep, <laughs> but you know, you can score on those guys, but you can't score on Mason Blackwood, right? Can't do it. Oops. Yeah, 
Mason Blackwood. Or no, or any any other backup defense a backup goalie, right? Canucks can't score on well, backup. I think Blackwood's goalies. the starter, isn't he? Um, I guess he is now. Yeah, I guess he is. Yeah. I don't know the names of the goalies that Canucks can't beat. <laughs> Few can. Uh, Anton Kadobin. He seems to be a goalie that the Canucks can't really score against either. Yeah. Um, okay, so we talked about Demko a little earlier there, but uh, I did want to mention this because. Well, let's bring you into the fold here, Rich. Uh, last week, you had a poll question. And the poll question was, would you sign Markstrom to that seven-year, was it, uh, 50, $49. $49 million contract right now? Would you do that? And um, I said yes. Well, of course, you said yes, and I was... But I the was, people said no. The people said no. <laughs> like, a lot of people said no. I think we had, like... I don't know, I think it was like 50 votes or something. And it was I think a landslide. It was a landslide. You kind of got killed on that one. Like, what, 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 what do you what usually, usually a good poll question is like 60-40, right? Because <laughs> I'm being realistic. If you're going to re-sign the guy, that's what it's going to take. So Explain yourself, Rich. <laughs> well, because you hear the responses like, no, 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 I would give him a bridge deal, I think you guys were saying. He's not going to take a bridge deal. He's a 29-year-old unrestricted free agent someone's giving him at least five or six years at at least six to seven million dollars he's not taking a bridge deal i saw an argument out there that the canucks just and any nhl team shouldn't invest that kind of money in a goalie like it like it shouldn't happen what do you think think about that i think it's recency bias yeah jordan bennington wins the stanley cup and so that's what people say but then this year, maybe a top goaltender wins the Stanley Cup, and people go, you see, you need a franchise goaltender. I mean, it's all recency bias. This happens every year. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Good point. Uh, so Jim Benning was uh, asked about it, actually. He was asked about the goaltending situation on Sportsnet uh, 650. They were listening to the show. They, they were clearly stealing listening. Our mat- <laughs> yeah. They're stealing our material. Stealing between the Stammers uh, material. Sat, who... Uh, I, I've met him personally a few times. He's, he's a really nice guy and, uh, we've exchanged stuff on Twitter. So hopefully he, humble brag. yeah, was that a humble brag? That was good. Well, maybe a little bit. Yeah. It's just sad. But. Yeah. It's just sad. No, we love sats. That's like my favorite on that station, by the way. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 if you stole it from a sat, you know, feel free to just, you know, give us a lot of boy, but that, that spawned great conversation about like what the Canucks were going to do about their goaltending. And uh, I don't know if you caught the quotes from Jim Benning, but uh, he said that they, they they didn't quite believe that Thatcher Demko was that guy yet, and they're they're looking at uh, signing Markstrom to a deal. Did you see those As quotes? They should. Yeah. As like, they should. Well, of course, you think they should, yeah. <laughs> because how many times have you seen a team roll the dice on the – the young up-and-comer that they see playing well and they think, oh, this is going to be the next guy, and then it, it turns out to bite them. I think. So where's an example NHL, of that? I'm just trying to think of an example of that. I, I feel like Tampa Bay had a situation like that years ago. Um, Jonathan Bernier, was that an example of that? Bernier, in Toronto? In how Toronto? about the Maple Leafs? Yeah, any, the Maple, Leafs? Maple Leafs goaltending situation since <laughs> Curtis Joseph, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Philadelphia. That's a Toscala. Remember when they went after Vesta Toscala? Right. The third of the three <laughs> Sharks goalies? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was fun. The Sharks had a lot of goalies for whatever had, reason. On on one team, they had uh, Evgeny Nabokov, yeah. Vesta Toscala, and Mika Kiprasov. That's right. And they ended up with the worst one. 
That's a toss call. Oh, toss the call. Leaf. Yeah, toss the call. Leaf did, <laughs> yeah. For sure. And the Flames ended up with the best one. Yeah, the Flames ended up with the best one. Oh, man. That's good. I forgot about that. Good times. Uh, so, w- I mean, we saw Demko tonight. I, I thought I think Demko's been really good in the NHL, but you're 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 not one to think that uh, you haven't seen enough from him to say he's he's the guy that Canucks should invest in. No, it's not that they shouldn't invest in him, but in the NHL, you have to have good goaltending. And I don't think you hand the keys over to Demko after this year. It's way too early to say this guy is definitely able to start 65 games a year and be a top starter in the NHL. What they have going right now with Markstrom and Demko kind of splitting the load Mm -hmm. is working. They have two good goaltenders, and Demko is still cheap, so you can afford to pay Markstrom. And if they can get him for less than the seven years, I was just throwing out seven years, and it might have been too long. Maybe five years at $7 million is more reasonable. But I think goaltending does come at a premium because people are comparing that contract, uh, at least some of the people I was talking to about this, you know, like, oh, well, how much money does Besser make right now or whatever. But you can't, you can't compare the goaltender money to the forwards because there's only one goaltender, and you have to have good goaltending. So – I think I think you have to sign Markstrom this year. You have to. You can't let him walk in free agency. Yeah, I well, I I tend to agree with you. I think Markstrom has earned it, and that's why that's why I said. But I do understand the argument that's made that maybe if you do let Markstrom walk or you trade him, maybe at the trade deadline, which I don't see happening at all, uh, if that were to happen. You, then you fortify Demko with another, like a Brian Elliott type goalie, like a guy who can help him, but also, you know, make it known that Demko is your guy for the future. And maybe you're just not investing, instead of investing, you know, seven million in Markstrom, invest like three million or something. And then hopefully Demko turns into the number one guy. But again, that's a roll of the dice there too, right? So I, I, get, I get the arguments on both sides here. I really do. And I think it's a sticky, really sticky situation, and that's why it's such a. It was such good talking, uh, such a good talking point in the last podcast. I think the NHL has evolved a little bit from when the Luongo Schneider situation played out. Yeah. Back then, it was still so like regimented. You had a number one goalie and a number two goalie. We've seen this one A one B thing a little more over the past few years, and we've seen it work. And even towards the the playoffs, and you just go with the hot hand, right? So. Is it kind of like the running back, the re- the running back theory in the NFL now, right? Yeah, I think, you know, goaltending is such a streaky position. If you can have two good goaltenders and then you, whenever someone's hot, you ride that hot hand, it gives you a leg up. And I, w- I would think it would be a mistake to let him go and just assume that you can make do with your one young goaltender. It's too early for me. You at least have to keep Markstrom for the next couple of years if you can and um you're gonna have to sign him for longer and if it means that at some point you have to trade him to a team for basically nothing uh to get the contract off the books then that's what you got to do but you just can't let him go right now like this team is on an upward trajectory from last year to this year and then moving forward and i think you need to keep that goaltending situation as solid as possible like right now Demko has a bad game, he might get a few games off to refocus himself. When you're the one one starting goalie, you don't get that luxury. You have to be 
focus night in and night out. You have a bad game. You have to go back in the next night and put up the best effort you can. Um, and I think it just makes a lot of sense to to continue to keep him in a good situation to to grow as a goaltender. Yeah, I, I mean, if you don't if you don't have goaltending, you're not going to win in this league. So why? play with fire and that's why i'm with you on this one uh the terms of the contract maybe if we like redid the poll rejigged the poll and said do you think the canucks should keep jacob markstrom i think if we just asked that question probably 70 oh, percent sure, of people would say yes right yeah 75%. but they're gonna say you sign him and give him four million a year nobody that's not gonna happen not right exactly yeah. yeah exactly yeah so yeah i think you um I, I mean, I think you bring up a big point and giving you a chance to kind of uh, talk about your poll question a little bit there is good. Good for Between the Stammers. Yeah. Uh, you got a new poll question for uh, this week? Yeah, we got a new poll question already up on the uh, on the Twitter machine from Between the Stammers at Between the S. Mm-hmm. Great name, by the way. Thank you. Um, so the, the poll question... Obviously, the Canucks started really hot in October. November's been a little bit tougher, so we've seen the good, we've seen the bad. So um, I know what my answer is, and it's consistent with what I said before the season, but I, I just wanted to put this out there now that we've seen the good Canucks and we've seen the bad Canucks. So the poll question is, this season the Canucks will finish, and your four options are A, top three in the Pacific Division, which currently they are holding uh, the third seed in the Pacific Division. B is earn a wild card playoff spot. C, narrowly miss the playoffs or finish bottom five in the NHL. So uh, it's early, early voting so far. We've got uh, 40% saying finishing bottom five in the NHL, 40% narrowly missing the playoffs. So those are tied to the lead. 20% for earning a wild card spot. And so far, no votes for top three in the Pacific Division. So no one thinks they're going to hold on to the spot they're in right now. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So did you, uh, or you want to give us your, 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 question your uh your answer to this yeah and i uh this was my prediction going into the season and from what i've seen this year i think i think i'm on the right track and i'm going to hold firm to my prediction that they are going to narrowly miss the playoffs i think they're going to be right in the hunt up until the last couple of weeks of the season this western conference is so tough and the teams that they're going to be battling with are they've got a lot of veteran teams that have been there before uh, you just look at the playoff teams from last year. I don't see many of those, if any, dropping out. Um, the Flames, I guess, that whole situation, who knows if they're going to be able to pull it together with all the drama surrounding their team right now. But um, I just I think that they're they're not quite ready to take that jump into the playoffs. And it's, it's also based on the competition. The Western Conference is so, so difficult. So I've got them just being on the bubble on the outside looking in. Uh, I, well, as much as I want to have uh, a different point of view here, I've been, I've been on record on between the stammers and anybody's listened to this podcast saying that exact same thing. I think that they will narrowly miss the playoffs, and I'm still like, and if that happens, I think it, I still consider it a good season. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so yeah, I'm with you on that one. So early, uh, early returns on that poll question show that I'm surprised, like. I mean, it's still early, so. <laughs> but 40% finish bottom five in the NHL? Like, really? There there's are people that actually believe that? Yeah, there's pessimistic people out there, for I, sure. I there's don't... a lot of pessimistic Canucks fans at this point. And, you know, again, uh, you see 
where we are. If you did this poll at the end of October, I guarantee you the results would have been different, but they, they're struggling right now. So yeah. people are down on the Canucks and recency um, bias. Got it. Recency bias. Exactly. You got to see the whole picture though. This team will pull themselves out of this bunk and they're going to win. I mean, they won a couple games in a row there and they should have won tonight, but no. So anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to have this podcast up um, within an hour. So it'll be on the same night as the Penguins game uh for the canucks there uh hopefully you can vote on it uh poll question from rich brown uh this season the canucks will finish a top three in the pacific division b earn a wild card spot c narrowly miss the playoffs or d finish bottom five in the nhl you're crazy if you think that bottom five and if, if they finish bottom five in the nhl that means the canucks are keeping their first round draft pick and then there's a lot of pressure next year to succeed because that first rounder is going to Tampa Bay no matter what. Yeah. Oh, Team Tank out there would love that, wouldn't they? Oh, probably. Yeah. Uh, just uh, one more, one more Canuck thing I want to. Uh, well, actually, uh, the Mike Babcock firing, which we'll get into in a second. I want to get into that. There's a there's a Canucks kind of side kind of question to that that I asked on uh, between the S. Uh, Twitter as well, uh, and I'll get your thoughts on that. But um, did want to mention Oli Ulevi being hurt again. We didn't mention this on the last podcast. I think the news came out on the, before the, our last podcast that we put out. Um, is it even news when Oli Ulevi gets hurt? It's actually breaking news. Like Oli Ulevi has played three games in a row. Breaking news. Yeah. So so this is, and there hasn't been a lot of talk about this. So the Canucks uh, announced that uh, Oli Ulevi had a lower body ailment and that there's no timeline for his return to play. Uh, he's 21 years old. Uh, he recorded five assists in 14 games for the Comets this season. Uh, of course, he was the fifth pick in the 2016 NHL draft, going ahead of guys like Sergeyev. Um, where you know, the, you know the one that everyone wanted, went one pick after. Was it one pick after? To the Flames. Oh, Matthew Kachuk, yeah. 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 yeah, and look, it is. You look at a guy like Matthew Kachuk, and you think, "Wow!" Yeah. yeah, you put him on the Canucks. Holy crap, that offense would be good, like yeah. so good. He's um, what he's what we want Jake Vertanen to be. Yes, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it's what they always envisioned Jake Vertanen being, and I think we've known for years that that's not what he's ever going to be. And yeah. um, we're hoping for just a, a solid player now, but. Um, yeah, it's easy to look back and say they should have drafted him, but I remember the Canucks had zero depth in their prospect pool on defense. Yeah. They, I, unless there was a player that was just clearly the best player available at that pick and it was a forward, they had to pick a defenseman at that spot. They just had to. Like, nobody – yeah, there was some people – I remember there were some people that said they should have taken to, to Chuck at that spot, but really the situation they were in, they were so desperate to finally start building the defense. And it's it's tough to blame Benning because injuries have really derailed any chance he's ever had at developing. Like, his key development years, basically from when he was drafted, have been completely wiped out. He's been injured every single year since he was drafted. So it's impossible to know what the untapped potential is on Ole Ulevi. It's really disappointing. Um, so personally, I know this is probably a really unpopular decision, but I, I can't blame Benning because we don't even know 
what he could have been if it weren't for the injuries. Are you thinking that like it's a bust now at this point and he's not going to be what the what you'd expect from a top 5 pick? Do you oh, think do you think no you think way. that you think that's over? You think that ship has sailed? That ship has sailed, no question. Um I think right now you're just kind of hoping that he can get healthy and maybe he can be like a, a dependable NHL defenseman at some point that you can put into your NHL lineup and uh, every night and be happy with. I think that's probably the best case scenario now. I mean, like I said, his key development years are gone. Like mm-hmm. that, that's when players really, you know, they have to take those next steps to go from a junior player to an NHL player. He hasn't had them. He hasn't been able to play. So I'd be shocked. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he's the type of, journeyman guy who uh you know he gets the occasional nhl call up but never really establishes himself in in a lineup um but i think it's probably not even going to be with the canucks because when you draft a guy top five if he's not going to pan out as a top five player generally you have to move on from him at some point um but really at this point you're hoping maybe he could get healthy next year and in the next couple of years he could be just like a, a third pairing guy but i think the the dream of him stepping in and fulfilling his potential are over at this point. Oh, you are breaking my heart, Rich Brown. Yeah, you are yeah. breaking my heart. I know, uh, I'm a heartbreaker. <laughs> uh, guys that went after him, defenseman uh, Sergeyev, who I mentioned earlier to Montreal, who got then traded to uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah. uh, Jake Bean, who I think he plays pretty regular minutes there in Carolina. Um, Jacob Chikrin who's Ooh, pretty that's the top one in my opinion yeah that's that's maybe the toughest right there i think i mean sergeshev too is pretty 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 valuable defense he's dynamic yeah. yeah um but yeah the chicken there is definitely a defenseman that you probably wish you had taken so uh you know what do they say about hindsight it's, uh, 2020 my friend it's 2020 so Unfortunately, that's just the case. I'm still hoping, even though they the Canucks said the injury is not related to the knee surgery that he underwent last December. So, I don't know. They could be lying to us, though, right? I don't know why they don't, they don't just tell us what it is at this point. I don't. I, I don't understand some of uh, the way NHL teams talk about their um, their injuries. I I'm lost on it too. You see a guy like. I, was it Hughes who like rolled over his ankle and yeah. clearly had an ankle injury and then it's lower body injury? Like you can say it. Everyone has the video. It's an ankle injury. Just just tell us. I yeah. mean you could I don't know what the point is. Yeah. Were the Canucks the team that really started doing that? I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like it was A V yeah. back in the day that started calling things upper body injury and now it's just prevalent. Maybe I I'm think imagining it... that, but I think he might have been the guy who kind of spearheaded that. Yeah, and I understand in the playoffs, in the playoff series where you wouldn't want to do that, but like early in the season, I and I think A V might have been that guy that did that because he had he had a way with the media that Elaine Vigneault, you know, like he was I th- I thought he was one of the best uh, coaches uh, with media because he he knew how to play with the media a little bit. And there's got to be a Twitter account for AV's lozenge out there, right? Like... <laughs> there should be. There absolutely should be. Um, okay, another thing I wanted to get into this week. Uh, we'll start with Mike Babcock because that set the NHL on fire. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, like we're I guess what is this? Uh, Three years, three years into that huge contract that he just signed, $6 million a year, uh, considered the best coach in the NHL right now. 
His team goes through a bit of a losing streak. Six in a row they lost. Uh, not a great start to the year for the, La- the Leafs. They can the guy. Now, then after that, there's this story with Mitch Marner, which you've probably heard, but I just want to get your thoughts on Mike Babcock as a head coach. Are you Were you shocked by that move like everybody else? Or were you, and do you think it was the right move? Well, when the news broke, I was absolutely shocked. I I didn't even imagine that it was a possibility. And it's because I – maybe it's because I, I don't subscribe to uh, the Leafs Nation media coverage that we get. You know, you turn on mm-hmm. TSN, it's all Leafs. You turn on Sportsnet, it's usually all Leafs. Hockey Night in Canada, all Leafs. I mean, I just – I get my content uh, from – from Twitter where I can at least uh, just get my Canucks news and I don't necessarily pay attention to what they're saying half the time. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't tapped into the Leafs market and maybe there was talk of this, but honestly it, it really shocked me. Um, and it's not like it's been an unsuccessful run with him as coach. I mean, he really did turn the team around and of course you want to go further in the playoffs in the first round. And that's the big disappointment, but I thought they would at least afford him this year and see how far he gets them. Um, but then you hear these stories coming out and it does make you think, you know, we always think of someone as a great coach as always being a great coach, but times change and the NHL changes and the players that play in the NHL have changed. Mm-hmm. And if the greatest coaches evolve with the times and if Mike Babcock was not evolving with the way the current NHL players are, then maybe it is the right move. Um, you know, you hear that story about Marner and it's mm-hmm. like, how did that ever work? Who would have thought that was ever a great idea? I can see doing, I guess we'll, we'll break up what the story is, how he um, had Mitch Marner list out from uh, most hardworking to least hardworking on the team. But then he shared the list with the rest of the team, which is like crazy to me. It's, it's a breach of trust and, so many other things and marner was a rookie when it happened and marner was a rookie it makes no sense i can totally see doing that and then reviewing the list with him um in private but like making it public crosses a line because and good on the lease because marner is clearly uh an appreciated and valued member of that team and that could have really that could have really rocked the dressing room and it sounds like they kind of they didn't let it get to them. Yeah. Um, and they knew, like, even the guys at the so, bottom, I think they yeah. knew, you know, Babcock made me put this list together. Then, but um, but that also probably added to this disconnect with it, between the players and the head coach, right? Because they, they could see through that. The players exactly, could. Exactly. So, you know, to me, we don't know all the facts. We we like to judge from the outside and say who's a good coach and who's a bad coach. But all we really do is watch the games. We don't watch the practices. We don't see the meetings. We don't see the, the coaching, uh, you know, in the dressing room or on the ice at practice or whatever it is. Like being a coach is 95% what happens outside the games. So we only see the actual games themselves. So it's difficult for us to judge. But when you hear this stuff coming out, it does sound like, you know, maybe this is an old school guy that just hasn't kept up with the times and maybe now was the right time for the Maple Leafs to move on. It's crazy, though, because, you know, they were in the playoffs last year and, yes, they lost to the Bruins again, who they always lose to. Uh, but the team was making strides. Like, this is a team everybody thought they would... I know Caleb Kirby, my partner in crime over here, predicted 
the Leafs to win the East. And, and yes, they had a slow start to the season. So, I don't know. It just it seemed pretty crazy. Like, this is, this is a coach who, like, he's, he was the coach for Team Canada to the last two gold medals. You know, yeah. like, this is... This guy's held in high esteem. And anyway, this is how I drew it back to the Canucks because I, I don't know. I don't know if I was drunk when I posted it or not. Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably. But I, I, I tweeted out, I was like, so with Mike Babcock out in Toronto, should Travis Green be feeling the heat? And I gave the options, yes, no, you're an idiot, Art. I know which way I voted. <laughs> uh, it kind of skewed. Uh, the, the The voting percentages were a little skewed in the end because uh, I'd put the you're an idiot art, which I which is really a vote for no, right? It's, it's too tempting to not <laughs> vote for that. <laughs> it's too tempting to not vote for that. And uh, it's also a vote for no, right? So actually, yeah. 39% of the votes, uh, there was 50 votes or so, um, 52 or something like that, and... If, I'm not great at math, but if you work it out, uh, you know, 33% said no, and then 28% said you're an idiot, Art. Um, so Over half. Yeah, so over half said no, uh, which is, you know, gonna, just going to throw it out there, Rich. Uh, my poll was a little more uh, 50-50 than your poll, just saying that. Just well, saying. here here's where I, because I read that and I thought, <laughs> you're an idiot, Art, and I'll, I'll give you <laughs> my opinion why. Okay. <laughs> Is because going into this season, first of all, I think Travis Green has done a really good job with this team in the previous years, and the young players are developing well. But coming into this season, we both said it earlier in this episode that we expected them to compete for the playoffs, but probably just miss out. Well, they're currently sitting in the third spot in the Pacific Division. Mm -hmm. So even though they're struggling right now, technically at the moment they're overachieving and you want to fire the coach. doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't matter who's available. Like that can ruin team chemistry or trust in management because if the players are connected with the coach, they're performing well. And then you're like, Oh, Mike Babcock's available. See you later, Travis green. I mean, that can really ruin team chemistry and trust in management. So no, I think that would be an absolutely crazy idea. All right. It was just a question because Mike Babcock, considered by many the best coach in the NHL, is on the market. And I was like, well, well maybe yeah. he's not the best coach yeah. in the NHL anymore. And that's a point that you made quite uh, quite succinctly. I'll give you that, buddy. I think you had a lot of Long Island iced teas that night, my friend. Uh, do I look like a guy who drinks all Long Island iced teas? I don't know. Just a stab in the dark. <laughs> Oh, I've been known to have a few Long Island iced teas for sure. You're on. You're you're on to something there. It's it's the special of the bar every once in a while. So yeah. Okay. This wasn't the only coaching. The coaching uh, story that hit the news. Uh, Hard to believe, but that is actually the tamer of yeah. the coaching stories. That and not to mention coaches corner. Like if you're a, a coach who's saying offensive things or doing questionable, having questionable acts of any kind, because I don't want to say that what what Babcock did was offensive, but questionable to say the least. Mm -hmm. Now is not a good time to be one of those people. Yeah, it's interesting because like a lot of people, and I I don't like to buy into this because when people see someone's down and or something something on is popular on social media right now, people like to jump on it and kind of like it, it picks up steam. 
because I think there was a lot of people out there calling Mike Babcock an asshole. He's tough to play with. I was listening to Leafs Radio or whatever it was, or The Drive or whatever show they have out in Toronto on TSN Radio. And were you were... being held at gunpoint? Why were you listening to this? <laughs> well, it was on TV. It was on TV. Oh. Yeah, it was on TV. But anyway, they, they were just talking, like Ray Ferraro was on, and they were just talking about how nobody says that they like Mike Babcock. He's, ne- he's, like, ne- he's, he's never met anyone who says they actually like him. Like, you know, they respect him or whatever like that, and they've been part of the team, but nobody's ed- ever said, oh, let's go have a beer with Mike Babcock. So that kind of just goes to show that, you know, maybe he's not the most well-liked guy out there even though he has such a high stature as a coach and i do think to, across all sports and today's athlete you need a coach that connects with the players not someone who scares the players it's just it's a completely different time than it used to be and so if that is truly what mike babcock is i i think he's going to get a shot somewhere but i don't think he's going to be successful like there's stories out there i don't know if you like do you follow mike commodore on twitter yeah, I know what Mike Commodore, he, he said that uh, Babcock was the worst coach he played for, but the, the dominoes keep falling. Yeah, um, it's not just I, him. I think we should we should blow past Babcock here because there's a bigger story. Yeah, well, well, before we get into that, I just I did want to say there was that one moment where, like, do you remember Mike Madano was playing for the Detroit Red Wings? And he needed one more game to get to 1,500 games in the NHL. And he was about to retire. It was like the last game of the season. They weren't making the playoffs. And he... And he sat him. He sat Mike Madano. Do you remember that? No, but he should have stayed in Dallas. Yeah, he probably should have. Yeah, but it was just another asshole move, right? So that was just another. That was another thing that was brought up this week. I see. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the biggest story uh, of the uh, the week, though, really, in the NHL, rocking the Flames organization. Uh, their head coach, Bill Peters, who was he coach of the year last year, or oh, he, he was in the, or he wasn't in the running for coach of the year last year. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. But, I mean, that story is an interesting one as well. Um, You know, with the the comments that he made, I mean, he's admitted to them, and multiple people have corroborated Akeem Alou's uh, Mm – do you remember Akeem Alou? Do you remember that guy? Do you remember? Him? I, I remember him from junior, I think. Didn't he? Did he play did in the Western Conference? Or did he play I in the Western like he Hockey League? The Giants at some point. I could be wrong. Maybe he played against the Giants, but yeah. I do remember him. Yeah. But he, anyway, so if you're if miss, if you or if you're under a rock and you missed the story, um, Bill Peters, uh, it had it, come to light that he had uh, went on a racial tirade, said some racial slurs to Akeem. Alou, who's an African-American hockey player, and um, it came out. It came out in the press. Was it Akeem Alou that broke it himself, like on Twitter? I know yeah, we talked about it on Twitter. He's the one who said it, and then uh, players that were on the team said, yes, I was there, that happened. Yeah. Then you had Michael Jordan, uh, different Michael Jordan, yeah. um, who played for the Hurricanes when Peters was a coach there, who said he had uh, different but similar experiences with Peters. I think he said that he, he kicked a player in Carolina and he punched a player in the back of the head and Rod Brindamore, who yeah. still works for the Canes and was an assistant on that team. He said that, yes, those incidents did happen as well and management dealt with them and, and he was better. And so here's where is Ron kinda, Francis at the time management there. And that's right. Yeah. You know. Here's where I think it gets a little bit sticky though, because obviously the flames are looking at this and, and, because uh, this happened word, 10 years ago. We, that, exactly. that also needs to point out. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to get to. So 
here's the tough part. With all the stories coming out, and especially uh, his Carolina days are not that far behind him. It was just a couple of years ago. Um, so it sounds like maybe this is the person he is. But when we as a, we're doing this a lot in society, you know, someone said something and it comes up 10 years later, and then now you're firing them now over it. You don't know what the person is like now because people change. And obviously what he did was horrible, but maybe he knew it was horrible and maybe he's changed and maybe he hasn't because that's what it sounds like to me. Like it really does sound like he is this piece of crap that Mm -hmm. uh, probably should lose his job. But it's really difficult for me when people are being fired over something that was said 10 years ago, because you really don't know if that's the same person they still are. Um, So that's where it's kind of difficult for me. But I mean, the Michael Jordan piece of it in Carolina, that's not long ago. And if he's, punching and kicking people. I mean, that's awful, but the Flames should also be talking to current and former players um, that Peters has coached in Calgary over the last couple of years and see if there's any, any like situations where he mistreated players, because I'd like to know, and I'm sure that's, they are doing their research still. Like we know that he said this 10 years ago, it's he's admitted to it. He's apologized. We know the things in Carolina happened, and the Flames still haven't gotten rid of him. They have kind of suspended mm-hmm. him or whatever you want to call it. He's not with the team, and they're doing an investigation. So maybe their investigation is about what has happened the last couple of years. Has anything happened? Because at that point, you, you have the ability or the right, anyways, to just pull the trigger and get rid of him. Um, but it's, it's tough to get rid of someone for something that happened 10 years ago. That's just the way I see it, even though I do believe that this is just who Bill Peters is from, from the sounds of it. Yeah, it's like the Kevin Hart thing, right, with right. Uh, with the Oscars. And, yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so, and this has come down in the last, like, hour. So Bill Peters apologized to the Flames in a letter addressed to Calgary GM Brad Treleving after those allegations were made by former hockey player Akeem Alou. The Flames coach said in the letter that he used offensive language in a professional setting a decade ago. <laughs> Peters said it was, an as, it was an isolated and immediately regrettable incident, but did not specifically apologize to Alou in the letter. The fact that he said 10 a decade ago, like, I feel like that's, I, know, I don't know if you've seen the statement. And, yes, I have, and I think yeah. there's an important part that you're missing. He, uh, he also says in the statement that, he was confronted immediately, and he doesn't specify who, whether it was uh, other players or whether it was other members of the staff, but he said basically he was confronted about the language he used. Right, right away, someone spoke up, um, and he went back into the dressing room, and he apologized to the whole team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that doesn't mean that you're off scot-free or anything, but it's important to consider that as well, that... Uh, A moment of weakness, right? But... But you and I have said, like, there's other things to go with this, like his actions yes, in, exactly. in Carolina, that this guy is, there's he's a bit of a hothead. Story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, you can't have a, a coach that's physically abusing players. It's not, not acceptable and, and, and uh, verbally abusing them either. You can't do that. And to add on to this, I don't know if you saw this come down earlier today, Daniel Carcillo's statements about Daryl Sutter. No. Wow. You're so, breaking some news to me here on Between the Stammers. So Daniel Carcillo is jumping on the train now, and he says that uh, Daryl Sutter was the worst coach he ever played for. He played 30-plus games for the Kings the year after they won the Stanley Cup. I think he was there in, like, 20, uh, 
2015 or, or so. I can't remember the year, but um, he was only there for 30 games. And he said Sutter would verbally assault people or whatever, just chew them out in front of the entire team and like try to embarrass them. Um, sounds like an old school hockey coach, but Carcillo played for a lot of teams and a lot of coaches. And he said, this guy was something different. Um, so now this is coming down. And I, I do think that hockey has always had that kind of like old, old tough coach mentality. And uh, we might hear more stories like that, but hopefully today's coaches are not the same because really that type of behavior doesn't have any place in today's society. It's, it's crazy though, that this, these two stories, both Babcock and Peters run immediately after the Don Cherry thing. It is interesting, and it could be connected. It could be. You know, it's, yeah, I, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, I always like to say. Uh, I, it just seems, uh, it seems very convenient, so to speak, that these, uh, these stories have come out. Sure, but... I, I don't know, it's like, I, I, don't, I know people, people want to, like, jump on the, the, that hockey locker room culture, and it's not just hockey, guys, it happens in every sport. It's just, the, it happens in every walk of life, you know, at work everywhere so just as treated at work yeah so let's not yeah people steal my food all the time it happens here you should put your name on it (laughs) i should put my name on it uh i i i i don't know i think it's like people do want to jump on the nhl and that uh that culture right now i think that's something that's being jumped on right now at this time and these stories aren't helping they aren't no but i think it's also good um, yeah sure to to have this out in the open and that you know there is a there is a part of hockey culture that does need to change, and I think it's more at the professional ranks and the higher levels. Like, you know, I played hockey for a lot of years, and I never experienced any of that. Um, but I never played junior or um, semi-pro or any of these levels. So it sounds like that is something that exists. The hazing, that was another thing Carcillo has talked about in the past. Um at the junior level, especially he's mentioned yeah. and just things that need to change about hockey culture. And I think it's a good discussion that needs to be had and hopefully uh, change for the better comes out of it. Uh, well, I think the Peters Babcock story does definitely, they are connected because Peters was an understudy under Mike Babcock, right? Yeah, I think so. In yeah, Detroit, they were. Right? Yeah. In Detroit. Yeah. And uh, was also uh, 1989. I guess they were at the same college or whatever something like that yeah so they so they know each other and so that's that's why they're connected those things yeah um so at this point though like he can't be the head coach of calgary anymore do you you don't think i don't don't think so like i I think that's the only way this ends even though even though maybe it's not the right way to end but i I don't see it happening i think a good question is to have your you gotta have your leadership group meet with management and discuss this and you know how do they feel about this like if the team is connected to this guy still yeah maybe he has changed i i don't know i it's a really tough decision but one thing that always i think trumps everything in this world is uh money talks and mm. this is a bad look for the calgary flames yeah. and uh the bad press that they're going to get out of it however i actually applaud them for taking their time and having an investigation into the matter, whether rather than um, th- there's two ways that this could have gone. And I'm going to use the, uh, I know this is a Canucks podcast, but we're going to talk some Houston Astros baseball right about now. Yeah. Um, the story about Roberto Osuna and the uh, 
what was he, the team's vice president, I believe, who mm-hmm. yelled at the female reporters. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad we signed this guy. Of course, um, the questions were all about them signing Osuna, who had been accused of domestic battery. So Yeah, one of the um, women were, I think, wearing a shirt about domestic violence or something like that. Yeah, and he, yeah. he was basically like kind of verbally attacking them. Like, I'm glad we signed this guy. I'm glad we signed this guy and like directing it at them. Um, and the team blindly defended him because he obviously denied it. Mm-hmm. They blindly defended him. They obviously didn't ask anyone because the story was immediately backed up by every other member of the media that was in the room. And then, God, did that make the team look stupid? And then they had to fire him. And if they had just done their due diligence, then they wouldn't have looked so bad. I mean, how how bad did it look when they blindly defended this guy and that then two terrible. days later they had to fire him, right? So yeah. I, I commend the Flames for just taking their time. You know, Peters is stepped away from the team for now, and they're running an investigation so that they can make sure they get all the facts. And that's something that seems to be missing from sports. It's a lot of rash decisions when stuff like this comes out. Yeah. And I think the Flames are doing the right thing. It's interesting. The Flames, they finished first in the West last year. They've struggled to start this year for whatever reason. Uh, like, they they have they have 26 points, which is just two less than the Canucks, but they've also played, like, four more, three more games than the Canucks. You know, the Canucks yeah. have three games in hand. And so, yeah, it hasn't been great. So, and people, people, and I, there were rumors in the last, even the past week that people were getting nervous in Calgary, like, impatient. So, I, I this is, I kind of, like, and I know the two aren't, shouldn't be connected but i feel like something was going to change in calgary anyway and this might be the push you know just like well makes it e- makes it easy for us to fire the guy who led us to a western conference championship last year yeah so i don't i don't see him lasting this no i, I don't i think i think it's he's going to be gone after this as well yeah it's crazy times though man to have those two stories come out it's all happening it's all happening um, well, uh, there was, there was one last thing and we'll end on kind of a good note here. Uh, just, uh, there's three guys right now that are absolutely ripping up the NHL. Uh, two of them play for the Edmonton Oilers. Le- Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are both on pace for like 150 points. Like they're they're It's ridiculous right now. The type of points that they're putting up. Um, and uh, David Pasternak, who had a hat trick last night, that guy has 23 goals in 24 games. Like, the, like that's insane. Um, I just think we should take a second to uh, appreciate that. Well, we, we get to appreciate it on Saturday night, though I don't think we'll appreciate it if they put up more points against the Canucks. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, I think I remember when they drafted Dreisaitl and uh, mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm no draft expert, but I remember thinking I liked he Dreisaitl was a guy. A lot. Yeah, I remember I liked Drysaddle a lot in that draft, and that was one of the years where the the Oilers finally weren't drafting number one overall. I think they were at like number six or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drysaddle was, I believe, predicted to go around top three yeah. a few months before the draft, and somehow he ended up kind of dropping in the rankings, and he fell to the Oilers at whatever their pick was there, six or seven. Um, and the Canucks, I thought, uh, was like, could he please fall to the Canucks? I remember yeah. thinking that. Yeah, and that was yeah, like, there's no way this guy's falling. Yeah. Big body and uh, yeah. skilled forward, and I, I just thought that was a really good pick for them at the time. And um, don't get me wrong, playing with Connor McDavid is probably helping out, but he is leading the NHL in scoring with 48 points right now. 
and he, David has 47. He had over so. 100 points last year and over 50 goals last year. So Yeah, this is yeah. this guy's legit. He's he's better than a lot of the number 1 overall picks the Oilers have had like uh no offense to Nugent Hopkins, but he's no dry sidle. Yeah. And Connor McDavid like this is this is I think it's just run of the mill for him. Honestly. Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid. He is yeah. he's a special special player. Yeah. Uh, another guy just lighten it up as well, John Carlson as a defenseman yeah. with 36 points already this year. Like and in 27 games. Nathan McKinnon only at 33 points, but I mean, you when you watch him play, he's one yeah. of those guys you have to watch. Yeah. He's really. so dominant. He's yeah. so good. He's pushing way play. He skates with the power. Yeah. Like, he's a good, good player. Yeah. And, um, and David Pasternak, see, man. I just have the, you know, the league leaders page up, and it's nice to see right at the bottom there of the top 10. Elias Pettersson, 31 points, tied with Patrick Kane and Jack Eichel right now. That is nice, hey? Petey, oh, you sent a stat to me today about Petey. That was, uh, it was, it was some fine company that Petey's in. Yes. Do you have that? Yes. Um, I have to pull it up. It was a, a very good stat. Okay, it I about, have it. Uh, it was about scoring 30 points in your first 30 games of his first two seasons in a row. So he had 30 points before the 30th game last year. And he has 30 points uh, before 30 games this year. And the uh, the other active players that accomplished that feat: uh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Alex Ovechkin, and Connor McDavid. So very strong company that Petey's in with that one. That a boy, Petey. We love you, man. Yeah, and what a goal tonight. Yeah, the goal was sick tonight. There was a few. I I mean, I marvel every time I see him, and he's just like he's like my favorite kid. Nice to right see him now. bury that one too, yeah. because he he hasn't seemed to, which is funny to say with 31 points, but he yeah. he seems to have been off a little bit on some of his chances this year. He was he was scoring on those grade A chances. It seems like at a, a higher efficiency last yeah, year. Yeah, so. isn't isn't that strange that it feels like we haven't seen the best from him? Like we've no, like no it's question. been like a slow start, and here he is with 31 points and 30. Uh, imagine games. if he fills out a little bit. I mean, oh, he will too. He will. Yeah, he will. Yeah. Totally, he will. Yeah. Um, like even a guy like Patrick Kane or Johnny Grujo, they're, they're still slight, but you can see they're just a little more solid of a player. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Petey gets to that point, look out. I mean, I think he's going to win a scoring title at some point in his career. I really do. I hope so. I mean, unfortunately, he plays uh, in a league with Connor McDavid. That's going to be difficult for a little while, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's just uh, to, just to take a moment here to to check out some of the uh, amazing f- feats that are going on in the NHL right now. Not just talking about the bad culture among coaches and locker rooms and stuff. I thought that'd be a nice way to end. Uh, the Canucks, uh, two games in a row against the Oilers this weekend. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, yeah. Back to back, home and home. Yeah. And that should be fun. Those are those are really big games. Oilers obviously playing uh, very well leading the Pacific Division right now mm-hmm. um, with 35 points in 26 games, 16-7-3 and three record. They've won two in a row, 7-2-2 uh, two and two at home for the Oilers. So that mm-hmm. one is going to be tough to get the win on Saturday night. But I'm excited to see those teams stacked up against each other. A lot of young talent in that game. Yeah, I, 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 and I know, and I've said this before on this podcast quite a bit, and I'm starting to look stupid about it because the Oilers just keep winning. But I think the Oilers will go on. They'll go on a streak where they're not as good as they are right now, and I think the Canucks will catch up a little bit. I think, I I don't think the Oilers are that much better of a team than the Canucks. I really believe that. 
And right now I look bad because of the standings, but I'm going to go ahead and say that again. Good luck with that. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, <laughs> so Caleb Kirby's not here. Rich Brown filling in admirably. Uh, Rich, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rich Brown Sports. Yeah, where can we find you on the internet is what I was trying to say. I don't yeah, mean well, actually prefer- like where you live or anything like that. I'd prefer not to share that information with yeah. you especially, but anyone <laughs> really in general. Nice. Uh, you can find me at, uh, at Art Aronson on all social media platforms. You can uh, tweet Between the Stammers at Between the S. Uh, you can also email us at Between the Stammers at gmail.ca. You get a lot of emails? one or two not there you not, go. not too many yeah. i yeah. feel like people don't like emailing anymore no it's all about the twitterverse now yeah because it's quicker right yeah well we may as well update the poll question now too so yeah okay yeah. in the end here so yeah. uh now it's it's pretty similar but now we're at uh narrowly missing the playoffs is in the lead at 45 percent of the vote yeah. uh second place is finished bottom five in the nhl with 36 percent and we've got 18 percent at earning a wild card spot with uh, top three in the Pacific Division pulling in a solid 0%. So, again, nobody has faith that the Canucks will be able to hold on to this third Pacific Division spot. You know you know who would vote for that? Caleb Kirby. Caleb Kirby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wake his ass up. Where are you, Caleb Kirby? He wasn't at work today, so something, something, something's up. Something's up. Anyway, we missed you. That he, what are the chances that he, he uh, faked sick, but he, he knows that he has to cover for himself, so that's why he couldn't appear on the episode? Is it, is it possible? I think... Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just yeah. messing with him. I know Curbman would not miss a between the stammers unless he absolutely couldn't go, so I assume he's in pretty rough shape right now. Uh, you can find Caleb Kirby on Twitter at Curbman23 as well. He's got a lot of gold there. Usually it's profanities if the Canucks are losing. It's usually how it goes. Um, all right, we're good. Thanks for joining again, Rich. I think Rich is going to be like, he's going to be a consistent uh, contributor to the podcast with his poor questions. We hope questions. so. Yeah. So as long as you'll have us, man. Too, but... As long as you'll have us, man. <laughs> I think as long as the audience doesn't run me out of town. But Well, I mean, uh, you got you, you to come up you got to come up with better poll questions, I guess, apparently. I well, know. this one's a little closer. Look, 45, 36, 18. Bad. Yeah, bad all right. That's enough. That's enough for us. Hope you're feeling better, Kurt.